With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by pod regulars Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, could Maurizio Pochettino be on the verge of leaving Spurs for Real Madrid? Or will Daniel Levy step in and tie up his coach on a golden handcuffs deal? Arsene Wenger is on his way, but who replaces him? And what's the Frenchman's legacy to the Premier League? John Stone started the season on fire, but will Pep Guardiola's relentless desire to prove Man City force the England star to seek pastures new? And as Anthony Marshall's contract ticks down, we look at the Man United star's options and ask, will he stay at Old Trafford or is a big money move in the offing? Okay, well, Duncan has a big story coming out of Tottenham. One of the most sought-after managers in world football is having some thoughts. Can you illuminate us on those thoughts, Duncan? Yeah, it's um, well. We all heard Mauricio Pochettino after um, after the semi-final defeat to Manchester United at the weekend mention in multiple interviews. It wasn't just his post-match press conference, but he did it, I think, in at least two television interviews, um, talking about the future of clubs, saying uh, whether that's with me or with another um, coach. And that is uh, very much a reflection of Pochettino's uh, thinking at the moment, in that he knows that he is the preferred candidate to replace Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid this summer um, and he knows that Madrid's president Florentino Perez is planning to replace Zidane if he doesn't win the Champions League um, and he has been considering whether it is the time to make that big move in his career from um, what still remains one of the the second tier clubs when you're talking I think in English football but sp- very much in European football to one of the biggest clubs. He's had um, opportunities in this area before in that Manchester United were interested in him in uh, 2016 when they were having doubts about appointing Jose Mourinho um, and there was a, a kind of split on the board over whether Mourinho was the right man for the job and Pochettino being the, the flavour um, of the season um, in England was proposed an alternative and there were discussions with Pochettino and um, according to people close to him he decided that it wasn't the right time to move uh, to Manchester United because it was uh, it was too big a jump for him the pressures of the job were much greater the media exposure was much greater he knew the squad wasn't good uh, he knew it was a massive rebuilding job and um, uh, transfer market is not his greatest strength. So 
he wasn't actually offered the job, but he um, he demurred from uh, the interest in him at the time and decided to commit to staying longer at Tottenham Hotspur. But he's always planned to go back to Spain and the, the, the job he wants in Spain is the Real Madrid job. And, um, and two years further down the line, with two years more experience in the Premier League, um, generally regarded as very good work developing the squad there. And um, a, a strong Champions League campaign this year in the sense that they won, the, won a group that contained Real Madrid beating them and Borussia Dortmund also beating them. Um, he's now seriously considering um, taking that opportunity if it's offered to him, which of course, if it happens, would, um, would open up um, another top job in the Premier League this season. So we could be in a position where we see all three of the top Premier League jobs in London being available at the same time, which I, which I think is unprecedented. It's, um, it's a very intriguing um, yeah, sort of scenario, really, uh, in terms of the three clubs. What I would wonder about in terms of Pochettino leaving Spurs is, of course, the um, the parked bus that is Daniel Levy um, in the sense of not allowing his um, most important asset to leave the club. He's under contract. There's no reason for Spurs to agree for him to, to uh, transfer to Real Madrid um, without huge amounts of compensation. Uh, to my knowledge, there's no release clause as such in, in Pochettino's current deal. And clearly, with the move to the new stadium, etc., and the faith that the Tottenham fans have and have developed in Pochettino over these past three, four years, um, it's something which should be a major blow to them. I think the received knowledge has always been that Maurizio would stay maybe for one, two years, as Tottenham settle into the new stadium, try to get beyond um, that barrier which they've yet to break, which is obviously to win a trophy. Um, I think it's, and I did think it was very, very um, interesting to hear him talk about the future of Tottenham as being with another coach. The first time we've ever heard him talk in that way. And... In these circumstances, my experience is that the reason that someone begins to talk about themselves as the past rather than the present or future is because they have been given an option somewhere else. My uh, information from Real Madrid is that, and uh, it has been for three months now, that there are people at the club who know Zidane very well, who are worried that he himself is worried about he might burn out. He is a very intense person. His modus operandi with regards to the way he runs a team is equally intense. He's the kind of person who gives everything 24-7 and in a season where they've struggled to compete with Barcelona and indeed are still fourth place in, uh, in the Liga. Um, if he doesn't win the Champions League uh, this season, and even if he did, I think uh, Zidane would seriously consider does he have both the emotional energy, does he have the physical energy, and does he have the motivation to put himself into the breach again next season when he is fairly comfortable in the knowledge that 
he will be able to. He'll be given a, a, a position at the club where he can take some time off. He can still work for the club. He can still be involved in the football. And indeed, he will be given the opportunity to come back as coach a second time in the future uh, if that uh, is deemed to be suitable in terms of both timing and opportunity. So it wouldn't surprise me um, that Real should, and it's a big, big if, should they be able to convince Pochettino to leave Tottenham that they would specifically ask effectively Zidane to step down. Um, and so in doing so, they, they secure you know, the best young coach in world football right now. My reservation remains that Pochettino is at a very stable um, place right now in terms of his career. He doesn't have to leave. No one's forcing him out the door. It will be a, a difficult and protracted exit with Daniel Levy negotiating with Madrid. However, we have seen uh, precedent set in terms of Luka Modric and um, more recently Gareth Bale leave against Levy's wishes, but effectively for the betterment of Tottenham in terms of finances. So um, when someone wants to leave, Levy listens, but then he then negotiates the very best deal for his club. Uh, and that would be certainly the case again, um, should Pochettino tell Levy that he wanted to uh, go to the Santiago Bernabeu. So I think it's a very interesting and, and very um, fluid situation. Um, as I said, the, the significance for me is the fact that Pochettino, for the first time, spoke about himself in potentially the past tense as Tottenham coach. That's not happened before. He's always been happy. He's always been happy to say he wants to stay and he's happy to stay. So um, as you know, the fact that he's now speaking in that sort of almost third person uh, in terms of what, what he may or may not do in the future is the significant change or the shift, if you like, in where he sees himself next season or the season after. I think you're right, Ian. Um, my information is there's no release clause in his current contract and that, of course, makes it harder for him to extract from Tottenham. Um, I think with a manager, it's a different circumstance to a footballer. Um, if a manager decides he's not, he doesn't want to be there anymore, it's very difficult to retain him against as well because he's the, the man who sets the tempo in the club and we saw what happened with Watford and Marco Silva when they, they did that. Uh, to Marco Silva and ended up sacking him um, a few months later. Um, and I think essentially the, the, the stance if Pochettino decided he wanted the Madrid job and the job was offered him would be for him to resign and then the clubs would have to settle the, the finances depending on the, whether, whether they have to, Madrid had to pay out the value of, of Pochettino's contract in full. The, I think the best hope for Tottenham fans here and um, my information would suggest that there is some hope and that the, the information I'm getting from the people close to Pochettino is not that he has definitely decided to go to Madrid, but that he is seriously considering it and they are unsure whether he'll be in England for another season. Is that Pochettino is using um, the leverage of Madrid's interest um, to see what he can uh, attain from Daniel Levy and what is a very important summer for the club. I mean, we talked recently about the number of key players in Tottenham squad whose contracts are due for renewal and who's, who are being paid well below market value at the moment. So if you're Mauricio Pochettino, you would want to ensure that all of those contracts for all of the players you want to retain in the squad and have become 
key to the way you're playing are secured as quickly as possible. And on top of that, that you got money to um, broaden the squad and add more experience, particularly of players that have actually won stuff. That, that for me, is the great weakness in this Tottenham squad, is the, the paucity of players who've won major titles, being led by a coach who's never won a major title as a coach. So you could see a scenario where he's playing both sides in the sense that he knows Madrid are interested, he has that, and he knows that if Zidane fails to win the Champions League, Perez is planning to change and Perez wants him. But he can also use that to strengthen his position at Tottenham if he decides to be conservative um, and stay a bit longer at the club and develop his career there. The, the drawback of, of, of going for that strategy, of course, for Pochettino was it, it could involve saying no to Florentino Perez. And you'd want to be careful how many times you say no to Florentino Perez when he asks you um, specifically to come to his club. Ian, you've got at Spurs a stable owner, uh, a, a boss that, that respects you and trusts you. You're moving into a phenomenal new stadium with a young team that's bursting with potential. I know the pool of Real Madrid, especially for um, the Latin managers or the, the guys that have been in Spain, but it's a lot to give up for what it can be a basket case of a club at times. That's very true, Johnny, and, you know, Real Madrid, despite being the most successful you know, club in terms of Champions League and obviously competing with other clubs in, in other leagues in terms of their um, domestic dominance, is not a stable environment by any means for the head coach, um, more so for players um, who have cemented themselves into uh, the club's history, like players like Sergio Ramos, obviously. Um, are very influential in the dressing room. Marcello uh, being the same. Uh, players have been there for many years. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, uh, similar examples of, of what that is. Now, the challenge for any coach going in there is how do I deal and cope with and find my uh, way of operating in order to accommodate um, such big egos, such big influences, while at the same time, impressing my own blueprint on the team. And as you rightly say, Johnny, um, Pochettino Spurs have been bred on mostly developing young players and bringing them into an environment whereby they thrive, they develop, they improve. And at Real Madrid, you don't get time to do that. It's as simple as that. You can't, no matter what talent Madrid have on the bench, or in the B team, what you don't get is what Pochettino's had at Spurs, and that's the ability to integrate them at his own pace, improve them, coach them, and then make them first-team regulars, and then still not win a trophy. In Madrid, you have to win. You have to win your first season, you have to win fast, and you have to win the big trophies. Now, I'm not convinced that Pochettino is prepared at this point in his career to throw himself into the maelstrom that is the Real Madrid situation. I think that he's a young coach with a very um, cautious approach to his um, future development. And I think he would rather go to Real in a more, let's just say, um, stronger 
uh, scenario whereby maybe he had won the Premier League or even just the FA Cup for that matter because he hasn't won anything in order to make himself uh, more of an influence with regards to, uh, regards to transfer policy, uh, style of play and just general respect both in the dressing room and in the boardroom. So I think it would be a massive leap of faith for Pochettino to leave this summer uh, and go to Madrid. However, no one can ever, uh, let's just say, predict the lure of the Real Madrid job because it doesn't always come along to you. And there, there have been players who were offered that um, chance and, and Neymar is the most recent and prime example where uh, Florentino Perez called Neymar's dad, who's his agent and the person who makes the decisions about his future, and said, um, you come now or you will never come to Madrid. Now, um, at the time, Neymar wanted to stay one more year in Brazil. And so um, his dad said no. And they immediately signed a pre-contract to deal with Barcelona that he would sign the next year. Now, obviously, we've got a lot of speculation about Real Madrid and Neymar this summer. Um, so therefore, I'm not saying that uh, you know, one no is the, is the end of it. That's not going to be the case. However, it, for a manager, it's more difficult than for a player because a player will always improve himself year on year. For a manager, he needs to retain or at least um, improve his reputation, his CV, etc., in order to be considered again and again. The interesting thing about Real Madrid this, this summer is that if Zidane uh, does not win the Champions League and indeed uh, suffers from burnout or whatever else that makes him step down or, or indeed the club offer him to step down, is that there are a lack of coaches out there who Madrid can recruit um, who you would expect to be winners straight away. Pochettino would be something of a gamble because he's not a serial winner. In fact, he's not won anything. So, But what they see in Pochettino is potential and um, I think a personality, someone who relates to players very well someone who can um, motivate people, uh, e not just easily, but in the right way in terms of um, to create that very uh, tight team aspect and team bonding that he's created at, at Tottenham. And I think that's why Madrid are interested. But, of course, Chelsea are also interested in Pochettino. And, you know, although that's a very long shot because of obviously the history between Chelsea and Tottenham, um, it's something which financially Chelsea could do uh, Pochettino could stay in England, stay in London, perhaps get a bigger transfer budget, not be in the position that he's in right now with his chairman, where there are loggerheads over what players' salaries can be and everything else. And, you know, let's not rule out the, the notion that Pochettino could stay in England and then move to Spain at a later point in his career. I think, personally, I think uh, Pochettino um, would be foolish to turn down the opportunity to move to Real Madrid now. I think. He is a very good coach. He's done excellent work at Espanyol, Southampton and Tottenham. But I think his star is excessively high for what he's actually achieved in terms of delivering silverware. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Tottenham have the second best squad in the division at present. And they've had the core of that squad for several years now. He's certainly had a squad good enough to win at least one trophy. And for all that Mauricio Pochettino plays down the importance of winning a trophy, I think uh, if you talk to the top people in the game, they will always emphasise the fact that once you get one trophy with a good squad of players, the others follow after it. And to turn down Real Madrid in that situation because... Um, 
you think you can better your opportunities at Tottenham Hotspur and come back again down the line would for a risk averse manager to me that would be the biggest gamble because there's no guarantee that he does deliver with Tottenham and if he turns down uh, Real Madrid at a time as you point out Ian where there are a shortage of candidates for them in the expectation they'll come back from once he's uh, further proved himself at Tottenham Hotspur um, that really is say, you know backing yourself in a in a in a huge fashion um, he wants to win things for all he, he talks about winning things not being as important as it should be he wants to win things and if you go to Real Madrid you should win things I also think it's a good time to go to Real Madrid because they've had such an appalling Liga season um, Florentino Perez is going to invest heavily in this transfer market he's going to restructure that team radically Barcelona aren't in a, a wonderful place they're about to lose Iniesta they've got a, a major rebuilding job on their in, in their own case just through the loss of Iniesta so it's a good time to go to Real Madrid because you you're in there as the the the, uh, the president's prepared to rebuild and as they've got something to prove by winning uh, Liga back again. Okay, guys. Well, we can't talk about managers in London without referring to Arsene Wenger, who has announced he will retire. Well, he's not going to retire. He's going to leave Arsenal at the end of the season. Ian, what do you make of his legacy? And do you think he will move on to another job ASAP? I think his legacy, I agree with a lot of people in that it's been tarnished by the last decade in which they've not won the title. Um, I think he set a very high standard when he arrived um, by winning three titles in his first uh, eight years uh, or so at the club. Um, obviously, he's been very successful in the FA Cup since, but I felt quite sad, and I've said this before in the podcast, I felt sad when I, I watched the game on Sunday against West Ham when the fans weren't united in, in you know, singing his name. I think a lot of fans have just become so, uh, just, they're, they're, just been, their enthusiasm has waned so badly. Scunnered, Ian. Scunnered is a very good word, actually. I was <clears throat> thinking of something else, but uh, ennui, I was thinking of Johnny in French um, and couldn't quite quite find it quickly enough. But um, I, I don't believe that Wenger's going to give up his career. I've spoken to one of his closest friends in the last few days who told me that, um, first of all, this was not his choice. Um, he was effectively told he'd be stepping down, which I think is far too late in the day um, in terms of where, where Arsenal are right now. They should have done it three, four, five years ago. Um, I'm bored of repeating myself on that. And um, But Wenger will, I think, if the right opportunity comes up, take another job in football uh, and will try to, you know, sustain his career as long as he possibly can. Obviously, the big question on everyone's uh, sort of mind is who replaces him. Um, I can say with uh, some authority that I understand that there's been meeting three meetings with Luis Enrique uh, and his representatives uh, with Arsenal in the last four months. And to my knowledge, um, while there are other candidates uh, and no decision has yet been made, I think that's the most attention that Arsenal have shown to any one candidate uh, in the time that they've been looking for a Wenger successor. 
So uh, I think there's still work to be done. I think there's still decisions to be made. We talked, I think, two or three weeks ago uh, on the transfer window about uh, Josh Cronker, Stan Cronker, the owner's son, um, toying with the idea of creating a, a British uh, identity at the club, where, of course, it's been very much French and otherwise. And Brendan Rodgers comes into the category in terms of uh, that being uh, one of the candidates for management. So, as of our Arsenal are um, vacillating, I think is probably the, the best and most Shakespearean word I can find um, with regards to the selection of the new manager. I think it's wrong for the club. I think it's wrong uh, for the players and squad who need some positive leadership now, which is not coming from Wenger anymore. It needs to come from the boardroom. They need to know who's the manager's going to be because this is a summer where Arsenal will have to make changes. Players will need to make decisions on their contracts, whether they're going to renew or not. You've got some of the Aaron Ramsey, who's a year at a contract, who I think is, is and, and should be a key player for Arsenal, age 28 going forward. But he must be considering his future. So I think definitely it's the case that um, the board must move quickly and close in or at least close down their uh, list of candidates in order to bring some uh, certainty to the club with regards to the next few months. And, and Duncan, I think your information is that that's not actually very soon to be the case, is it? Yeah, um, but I guess just first I would, I would say that, you know, in terms of Wenger's legacy, I think he will go down as one of the great Premier League managers. Um, obviously, for the first half of his his career as a Premier League manager, I think if anyone wants to get a sense of of, of his character um, and why he was so popular and and so good to work with um, for us journalists, I would recommend them watching the press conference he gave after the game at the weekend, where he was obviously quizzed on what happened um, and. It's very clear from that press conference what he says in there that it wasn't it was an enforced decision that he made to leave the club. He's asked several times um, about how it happened and his feelings about it and um, whether it was voluntary and he refuses to answer those questions and says he will talk about it at a later date. But he's also um, very very funny, uh, very touching. He makes a great comment about how he actually thanks people for, for what's been said and written about him in the, in the past week. And he said that it felt a, li a little bit like uh, attending live at my own funeral and makes a joke about how I don't need to die anymore. I know what it is now. And, and it's just, you know, as, as you'll know, Ian, from the, the, the amount of time you spent with Arsene Wenger, it's, you know, it's a, you see his intelligence and his sense of humour and his humanity in that in that press conference and what could have been a, you know, a very trying time for him. And he could have hit out at the people who, um, who have forced him out of what he considers to be his club. In terms of replacement, um, I understand that you're right. They are nowhere near making an appointment and they have a hugely long list of potential candidates for the job, which, um, in one sense, you could say is a kind of rational approach from a group that have never had to make this appointment before um, and had never had to make this decision before. But you can also say that given that they must have known that this 
time was coming to have a list, which I'm told is over 10 individuals long at this stage, is too long. Um, really, uh, the decision should have been made to change Arsene Wenger. Um, if this was to be his last season, the decision was made, it should have been in the summer to change him, to finish at that, and then to spend the year getting the, the, the new recruit in place. They clearly haven't done that. They've got a lot of work ahead of them now. Um, and they've got a lot of basic principles to, to set out in terms of the, the kind of man they get and what they do with the squad from now on. Ian, what kind of character is it that Arsenal needs? I think um, the sort of photo fit, if you like, the blueprint, which has been set down by the board as a younger man, someone who can relate to the younger players in a much more um, easy and uh, reasonable fashion. A lot of people have said, and I think it's it's true to an extent that Wenger is, has become stuck in his own era where he did revolutionise the way that he prepared both um, physically and mentally football teams for the task ahead. But I think he's been left behind in terms of uh, newer coaching techniques, sports science, psychology, etc., etc., because he believed his way um, was always the right way, which is a very dogmatic approach, which has clearly not been successful um, in the last 10, 12 years in terms of winning major trophies. So the notion is that he's someone who is um, educated in those much more modern uh, techniques. So, as I said, someone who will be able to relate to players uh, on their sort of um, level, which I mean both socially as well as in a football sense. Uh, so someone who's not stuck listening to, I don't know, Fran and Anna uh, compared to someone who's going to know a bit of Kanye West. So, uh, and Wenger, I think, is much more a Fran and Anna man than he is Kanye. So stuff like that is important these days in football. Um, and despite the success of people like Ferguson and, and Wenger, football clubs recognise now the need for... Uh, managers who can actually, if you, I said, extend a greater sense of um, empathy towards the sometimes teenage, sometimes early 20s players that they're dealing with. So I think the person coming in needs to be able to immediately command the respect of a dressing room uh, and so therefore should be a proven winner somewhere uh, in his own domain, whether it be in his own country or, or where he's obviously been practicing his uh, his uh, career uh, so therefore like, I'm not surprised that what Duncan said about there being a list of 10 candidates because this has always been Arsenal's way they've been so indecisive in everything from transfer uh, negotiations to should Wenger stay should he go that it's, it's not surprising that they haven't made a, a decision on one candidate uh, because there will always be a club who wants to do things by correct process, due diligence, call it what you want. And for that reason, they will, they will faff around, basically. And, they, and they, they will. And they, and instead, they need to send out a very clear message to their players, to their fans, as quickly as possible. This is the man that leads us forward. However, what we know for sure is that one of the reasons they didn't sack Wenger last summer is because uh, Ivan Gazidis told Stan Kroenke and his son Josh Look at the mess Manchester United were in over David Moyes and Louis van Gaal. We're in a similar situation 
we have to get this right. Therefore, allowing Wenger to stay, albeit for one more season, gives us time to evaluate and decide on who will be his successor. It seems, however, from what Duncan's told us, and I've every reason to believe that Duncan's information is correct, is that they've not even got that far, which is weird. All, what, all, all they've done in terms of a resolution so far is ending Wenger's tenure, which obviously is painful, but secondly, doing so so that they can give Wenger the opportunity to say goodbye in a, you know, in a way which befits his time at the club, i.e. A, a Europa League semi-final, two more, or one more home Premier League match, etc., etc. It gives Wenger the opportunity to, to at least say um, goodbye to the fans and to have a dignified exit from Arsenal. But what they haven't done is sort out the most important decision, which is who's coming next. And, you know, Duncan, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've said, Enrique, have you got any other major um, ideas in terms of who it might be? Well, look, I think they need a, a man to bring coherence to the club. I think they... Um... Their transfer strategy is emblematic of the way the club has worked for so long. There's no been there's not been any coherence to the, the players they brought in. They've got an imbalanced squad, and they need a man who is, as you say, a modern manager who will have a strategy, um, will add the kind of uh, coaching abilities that Wenger has ignored, which is the assessment of the opposition and the tailoring of tactics to the opposition. What's dismissively called as named reactive football uh, by many people these days, but I, I, I prefer to talk about it as adaptive football, um, intelligent football. So they need, they need a guy in, in that category. And I think, um, I think there, there is a, a man available um, who hasn't been mentioned um, for the job so far. And I just, um, I think we'll do it a little differently this week and put a little challenge to the, the transfer window audience and see if they can uh, identify who they think would be the best candidate to be the, the next Arsenal manager of, of the coaches who are available in world football at present. Johnny, I'm going to challenge you first and, and give us, because Duncan's not going to tell us, we know this, so Johnny, mm. tell us who you think Duncan's talking about. Well, I think there's only one real candidate and it would be expensive, but I think Arsenal should uh, splash out on Diego Simeone. Um, here's a guy that can work with a budget, um, who gets the team organised, who is reactive, as Duncan's talked about, and uh, who I think would come to the Premier League and then inspire um, the players and the fans. And I think we'd get everyone talking about Arsenal again. He would be a very uh, explosive appointment and uh, would make a statement about where Arsenal intend to go. Well, Johnny, I, I don't disagree with you on <clears throat> Simeone's candidacy. However, I would say one thing. Duncan mentioned there was a key word there, currently available. And I think Simeone is not currently available. So I'm not going to ruin the, uh, our listeners' um, fun by naming who I think, and I don't know this, by the way, who Duncan's talking about. But I would say, I'll give you a clue. I think he might have managed in London before. Okay, interesting one. I have absolutely no idea who you're talking about, but... Maybe the, the listeners will have a better idea. So tweet Duncan, tweet Ian, tweet myself, and uh, we'll talk about it next week. So um, we've talked about managers, but I think it's time to discuss players. And one guy who looks like he may be on the move, despite being full of promise and in England international, is John Stones. Ian, you've got the story? 
Well, it seems that um, Pep Guardiola has become frustrated with John Stones um, in terms of, I think, uh, I wouldn't say attitude, but his attitude towards playing and attitude towards whether he's got little niggling injuries, uh, etc. He's obviously been sidelined and on benched, indeed, for the um, majority of the Premier League season since the turn of the year. I think that Stones was someone who Guardiola had massively high hopes for. Uh, if you remember that brilliant sort of um, response he gave to a question about Stones' uh, mentality in a press conference, he said that uh, Stones has more cojones than everyone else in this room. Um, so for you Spanish, because you know exactly what we're talking about here. Now, I'd have to say that that clearly has um, subsided <clears throat> uh, in terms of uh, the way that Pep views Stones. The fact that Otamendi is preferred in front of him um, and that company has obviously returned to take his place in the team as well. With um, Imert Laporte's uh, very expensive recruitment in the January window, he's got a an alternative ball-playing centre-half um, who is probably not as prone to making goal-creating, uh, i.e. for the opposition, mistakes. Stones has shown to to have done throughout his career, whether it be at Everton uh, and Manchester City. Uh, Duncan, I've talked uh, a lot about the fact that if you are the age that Stones is, which is 23, and you still consistently make those uh, very um, costly mistakes uh, in your own box or outside of your box in the, in the final third of the opposition, which gifts uh, goal-scoring opportunities, then you're unlikely to be able to remedy that uh, because it's already in your game, if you like, it's in your personality, it's in your character. So I wonder now, though, Johnny, of the, the money that Manchester City spent on Stones, um, remember they have the two most expensive centre-backs outside of Virgil van Dijk and World Football um, in their on their bench at the moment, how much money they'll get back from. I think there are certainly people out there who admire John Stones and Chelsea would be among those admirers. Uh, in terms of both his age, the fact that he's English. Chelsea have shown us that they, they like uh, an English spine. Gary Cahill's 32 now, himself is struggling to get a place in Antonio Conte's team and that a new manager at Chelsea this summer may well fancy John Stones. Whether or not they can recoup the £50 million plus that they paid for Stones, I'm not sure, but he's certainly a saleable asset. But it certainly sends out a signal um, that Guardiola is having won the Premier League, is willing to be ruthless in the way that he reassembles or certainly augments his squad for next season. And if Stones is supplement to requirements, then he won't actually be given another chance to prove that he's a Manchester City standard player. He will actually be sold out and someone who will improve the squad we've brought in. I think it would, I think it would be a big, um, big, state, big statement from Pep Guardiola to let John Stones go. And more importantly, a big statement from Manchester City to let him go. We know Manchester City don't lose players unless they decide they want those players to leave. Um, I think there would be a big market for him for, for the reasons you identify. Ian, he's English, he's young. Um, we know the top clubs in England want to recruit England internationals because they have problems with homegrown players. Um, we know Chelsea tried to get him before he, he went to Manchester City. Um, be interesting to to discover what John Stones and his camp's thoughts on his status are. Because 
um, it, it would be a big step down for him to be sold by the champions, having moved there on the transfer fee he did and being rejected by the guy who's being depicted as being the, the best manager in, in the division at present. Um, you can see from a tactical perspective or a, why it would make sense for Guardiola to change in the sense that he's not using stones. He's bought a very expensive centre-back in um, who can fill that space in the squad. He's used Otamendi and been happy with the way he's played this season, given him a new contract. When company's been fit, he's been a starter. Um, in principle, he could buy another centre-back or a centre-back who could also be a left-back um, and, and make a profit on... Um, on stones and, and put some of that money towards the rest of the team. I don't think that's a consideration with City. I don't think they ha he has to worry about these things. I don't think they have to raise money to buy. I think the money is there from Abu Dhabi, whatever he wants to do. So if, if they do sell John Stones, it will be because Pep Guardiola has decided this man is, is not the centre-back for me. I don't want to build my defence around him anymore. I want different players. Well, another young Manchester-based talent is Anthony Martial, and there's been a lot of chat about his transfer status, Duncan. Um, can you bring us up to speed on that? Yes, um, I think it is really interesting when we're just talking about John Stones. You've got Anthony Martial, who um, one of the one of the great talents in Manchester, 22 years old, uh, signed again for a huge transfer fee um, by the club. Uh, you know, one that took took people aback when he came from Monaco three years ago. Marcel's agent has been um, marketing him around Europe and trying to find a, a club for him. Um, I'm told he hasn't got a, a definite contract offer yet. Um, but the question for Manchester United is whether the agent is using that um, to improve Marcel's status at the club and try and get him uh, uh, more playing time and an improved contract there or whether he's serious about moving him. From what I understand, Martial is telling friends that he expects to be elsewhere in the, in the, once the summer window is complete. And I am told that Jose Mourinho would be open to selling him if he asked for a transfer. He's not, it's not the case that Martial has been put on the market by Manchester United, but they're ready to let him leave um, if he decides he wants to go away, which kind of fits with what Mourinho said um, throughout his two years at the club, is that he won't stand in the way of a player who has good, who asked to leave and has good reasons for leaving. And, and from a, a team-building sense, there is some logic for United to cash in on Martial if they get a good offer for him in that... Um, he's not going to be playing centre-forward. That position is Lukaku's. Um, the second-choice centre-forward is going to be Rashford. They have um, now three players in uh, Martial, Rashford and uh, Alexis Sanchez who uh, would prefer to play off the left-hand side. Sanchez, not so much. You can give him a free roll in the, in the second line of attack. He's happy with that. But, but you've got three players essentially competing for one spot most of the time. And they've got a real imbalance in their squad in that they don't have a left-footed winger um, anywhere. And Mourinho is a manager 
who almost above all others values tactical options and, and values having different types of players for different types of solutions in different games. And he sees that adding a left-footed winger to the squad would improve his options. So one way of doing that is if Martial asks to leave and they have a good offer, allow him to go and invest some of that money in a, in a, a, a genuine left-footed winger. Um, what, what kind of transfer fee would United be looking for, Duncan? Because, I mean, there was talk about the initial transfer from Monaco being up to £75 million. Yeah, the fee was, um, I think it was €50 million. Euros. I'm just working the exchange rate. I think it was €50 million down and then up to €80 million. There were ten. There were three sets of €10 million Euro bonuses, one of which has already been triggered, which was for um, goal scored. Uh, the second was for uh, French France international appearances, which he, I don't think he's far away from. And the third is for was for being in one of the shortlists for the Ballon d'Or. So um, it was one of the most expensive deals of all time. It was the most, he was the most expensive teenager. And it, 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 when you included the add-ons, it was one of the most expensive transfer fees of all time when they bought him, which kind of shows where Manchester United's transfer strategy was at that time, not long after Edward Woodward had took control. And you know we had a series of, of bad buys and... Um, certainly overpriced buys. Uh, I think... And indeed, in the, over, the overpriced Memphis Depay. <laughs> <laughs> the over, the over, overpriced and not very tasty Memphis Depay. Indeed. Um, I think in this market, and, and you know, I have said that, the, that Martial's agent hasn't found an offer yet, but I think it should not be impossible to find a buyer for a player of Martial's ability and age, um, albeit there are problems with them, uh, which you know someone doing their due diligence will will discover. Um, it shouldn't be too hard to get that transfer fee, including add-ons, back. the The problem they might have is they only have one year left on contract um, with an option for a, a, a further year, so they're 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 a little bit low on contract time. But as a, a valuation of eighty million, doesn't seem. Uh, ridiculous to me given how much money there is in the market these days I think the other thing Johnny in terms of Martial he's had some very well publicised troubles in his personal life since his time to, in moving to Manchester which I think have um, you know been a combination of his youth changing um, country, changing club uh, and being not uh, a settled part of a Manchester United first eleven as well. I'm not making excuses for the guy. Um, you know, he's a very talented, highly paid footballer. But I think uh, any elite club uh, and any elite club um, contact will attribute the lack of consistency of performance sometimes to off-field things rather than on-field things or things to do with training. And I think Martial is definitely one who suffered from those circumstances uh, or created them himself if you want to put it that way he looks to me like the kind of player who I would not be surprised would go to somewhere like Serie A or La Liga and thrive and score 20-20 plus goals a season he just looks to me like, to be like a, a little bit of fish out of water to be honest um, someone who needs a different environment to thrive with his particular skill set and talent uh, someone who 
as I said, would not be out of place playing in a a more comfortable environment, a more comfortable society. I think Manchester has proven to be a bit too much for him. And for that reason, I think he will leave this summer. I think I think he needs to be a first choice somewhere. I think that's a big yeah. part of the problem. He doesn't deal with not being a first choice. He wasn't happy when his his number was taken off him to be given to Flatten Ibrahimovic in the first summer. Um, and frankly, he doesn't deserve to be a first choice at Manchester United on his performances. He's not a first choice because there are players who who per, who perform better than him in the team. So he, he basically gets the amount of playing time that he merits on, it, on his performances. However, if you were to extract him out of there into a squad with um, less capable players and made him your starting forward, then you would, you would almost certainly get better performances from him. And you know, that, that's kind of, I think that there's a lot of errors made in judging managers and, and their um, ability with certain players. Um, in the sense that it, there's not a consideration of the squad they're in and the, the group they work in and the circumstances they work in. So some players will f- thrive at other clubs where the environment suits them and where they get the, the level of attention that suits them. Um, and others, um, and the same player will struggle at a club where he, where he's, he doesn't feel he's um, the manager's favourite. Does Jose not rate him as a central striker, Duncan? Because to me, when you look at his natural gifts, his explosive pace, his excellent first touch, that position would be best suited to him. But I know in the past, Mourinho has tended towards a more physical striker in that position. Yeah, I think that's it. It, The way um, Mourinho likes his teams to play, the central striker has a huge role in the team. They have to do a lot of work. Um, in terms of uh, running, in terms of um, competing with opposition defenders, in, in terms of uh, taking aerial balls, um, and also in terms of tactical strategy. So in ter- who, they, who they go to, uh, a classic Mourinho ploy will be to tell his centre forward to go up, up against the, the centre back who's better on the ball and leave the one Who's, who he doesn't think is a good passer free um, when the opposition get the ball. So that, and he's trying to get his players to channel the ball from the goalkeeper to the centre-back who's not a good passer and allow that centre-back who's not a good passer to make the ball forward because he, he calculates that's the best way for his team to get the ball back. So he needs a player who follows those instructions and, and Martial's not the player for that. He doesn't follow instructions. He plays off, off the cuff. Um, and it's a bit like Rashford, I think, in that Martial's better. He, Martial would be a good striker for Liverpool in that he likes to play into space. He likes, to, to, he likes balls over the top and balls to run onto. So he'd fit into the Liverpool system. But in the Manchester United system, which usually has that dominant um, centre-forward, he's not the right fit for that. Okay, gents, I think it's the perfect time to move into our quick fire round. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the top six in England in the Premier League and ask who would be their perfect, realistic signing. Because I know, obviously, if it's the perfect signing, every single one's going to be Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. It's not that. It's going to be a realistic option for these clubs. So, we're going to start with Duncan, and we're going to start with Manchester United. Um, 
you know, Manchester United need a lot of players. Uh, we talked about they need defenders, they need midfielders. Um, I think the primary signing for them is probably a new left back. Um, and I think the perfect signing is someone we mentioned in the transfer window a long time ago, and that's Alexandro at Juventus. Ian, Liverpool. Got to be a goalkeeper. Um, so realistically, uh, I would say Jan Oblak uh, from Atletico Madrid. Commands his box. Very good shot stopper, etc. Et uh, on that very subject, though, Johnny, I'd go back to Manchester United and say maybe the perfect signing would be a new contract for David De Gea. Yeah, that's a good shout. And uh, City, Man City. Um, I think Manchester City, the perfect signing for them would be another um, forward uh, to give them it's probably one of the weaknesses this season has been Aguero Jesus only having two centre forwards um, they've had periods where one of them has been struggling for fitness um, and the other has been out so a player who can play anywhere across that attacking line um, and if they could get him, Kylian Mbappe Chelsea Chelsea are weak in several areas um, and I think that's been shown in terms of shortfall uh, in the way that they've performed this season, Johnny. Uh, I genuinely think they are lacking in leadership. Um, it's a club which has always sort of thrived on a strong captain leadership. They've been swapping the captain's armband round, etc., etc. So uh, for Chelsea, uh, I would suggest that they would need someone uh, to come in and command the dressing room. Uh, if I was the next manager, I'd go for Giorgio Chiellini. Oh, that would be a terrific sign. He's out of contract, he is, he not? He is. So that would be a, that would be a fantastic signing. But don't know if he's a bit of a mama's boy. He likes to... <laughs> like his mama's pasta. I wouldn't say that to his face, obviously. But uh, there you go. Tottenham or, Hotspur. Or, or to his mama. <laughs> is she from Naples? Uh, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur. Um... Well, Tottenham, he's the perfect signing for Tottenham. I think uh, they need another centre-back. I think um, the decision uh, to marginalise Toby Alderweireld has been um, an expensive one for them. Um, Davison Sanchez is a player with a lot of physical ability, um, but very error-prone for me. Um, and I think... I actually think the perfect signing for Tottenham would be to give Toby Alderweireld the contract um, he is asking for and to retain him at the club because they know he plays well in that position um, and they know he's one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League. Do you think someone else in the Premier League might fancy to to do that deal or will Daniel Levy prove impossible to deal with if it's another uh, rival? Well, they're, ready, they're ready to sell him. They've, uh, they've ended contract talks with him as far as Alderweireld is concerned. He will be moving. It's, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a fight with Levy over the transfer fee, but he's been well and truly marginalised. Um, and yes, there is interest from other uh, Premier League clubs. And, you know, we're talking about the potential for John Stones leaving, Manchester City is one of the clubs that has been interested in Alderweireld. So perhaps, I, I don't, I haven't checked in this situation recently, so I'm not saying definitely, but say perhaps they've, they've decided to go back um, towards Alderweireld and taken that sort of proven Premier League um, talent 
and put him in the squad uh, rather than the, the guy who's supposed to be the future man. Well, that seems to make absolute sense. Keep your eyes on that one, folks. Uh, and finally, Arsenal. Uh, for me, Johnny, I think uh, there, there are a lot of positions to be improving at Arsenal. I think we have to consider Peter Cech's age and position and the fact that Ospina doesn't seem to be ready to overtake. And I do think that Koscielny uh, <clears throat> needs more support in central defence. However, um, I think the player that would improve Arsenal immeasurably next season would be Thomas Lamar. I think they are dreadfully lacking in pace on the flanks, something that they've always prided themselves on, something which Arsenal as a team have thrived on and someone who makes uh, goal opportunities for others. They spent a hell of a lot of money on two strikers in Lacazette and Aubameyang in the past uh, eight months. They need to make those signings work and I think Lamar could be the player to make both those signings work. So for me, Thomas Lamar would be their perfect signing. Okay, and with that, I'm bringing this transfer window to a close. Some news, first of all, uh, that you can no longer find us on Audioboom as we have moved to a new supplier in Acast. You can listen and subscribe on there or via iTunes where your subscription remains unchanged. To continue the debate, you can. I'm on Twitter at Johnny R. McFarlane, and more importantly, the guys can be contacted at Duncan Castles or at Garbo SJ. We'll be back next Tuesday before 3pm. Until then, thanks for listening.